0: Well, here we are, gathered with our two most favorite people, the Lord and His trusted, loving disciple who, on the behalf of all of us, is, is, He's representing us. Um, and that is what Paramahansa Yogananda called Him in his interpretations. He called Arjuna, devotee everyone. And that's his role right here, to represent our questions, our doubts and to receive on our behalf the wisdom, the guidance and that loving consciousness of the Lord. And now we begin chapter 3. Here Arjuna addresses Krishna, o Janardhan, which is the liberator of his people. If you consider understanding superior to action, why, O Keshava, have you been urging me to this terrible action? This apparent contradiction confuses me. Please tell me clearly which path will help me toward the highest good. So in the previous chapter, Krishna, of course, shares with Arjuna both the need to fight, to act, he talks to him about the need for karma yoga. But then he talks a lot about wisdom, about finding that deep inner stillness within, finding that even-mindedness where we have interiorized from all sense objects, from the senses themselves, from the Ida and the Pingala, thereby neutralizing duality within ourselves. So now Arjuna is like, okay you know which one which one's better which one do you want me to follow on one hand you're saying you know neutralize it all withdraw back into yourself and rest in that self and on the other hand you're saying go out there engage and fight this battle you know why why the seeming contradiction and this is the subtlety of the spiritual path that Often we see these contradictions and, we, and we're and we always wondering and gauging which is right, which is better, which is higher, which is lower. But of course, once you understand even one aspect and you begin to follow it, you'll realize that in order for true action to be performed, that wisdom, that even-mindedness, that ability to withdraw the life force is just as much a part of it as the act, the outward act itself. However, again, Arjuna, God bless him. He's there for us and he's asking our questions saying, Krishna, I'm confused here. What would you rather have me do? Why don't you just tell me clearly and plainly? Is wisdom better? Is the uh, path of Jnana yoga better or is the path of karma yoga better? And of course, now Krishna will help us see what exactly he means by both first focusing more on the path of action. <clears throat> the cosmic Lord said, O sinless one, at the beginning of creation, I established two means by which man could achieve salvation. The first was by wisdom and the other by right action. So Krishna is already saying, well, you know, from the very beginning, from creation itself, Two flows of understanding me, two flows of achieving union with me, are one of wisdom and one of right action. Actionlessness cannot be attained by mere inaction. One who forsakes work in the name of divine aloofness from activity cannot reach perfection. So again, he's bringing us back to... The most simple basic reality if you think somehow you're going to be able to in the name of i'm withdrawing from the world i have to withdraw from these sense objects if you think that means actionlessness or inaction well you are mistaken because anybody who forsakes work in this a pretension of aloofness or if at least in this confusion of aloofness from the world, well he cannot achieve the state he is looking for. No one can remain actionless for even a moment. All are compelled, whether willingly or unwillingly, to be active, driven by the Gunas of nature. We talked about the Gunas before very briefly. Again, no one can remain actionless, even for a moment. And he'll go on to say why. And he says, as long as there is the vibration of duality within us, the gunas, these three gunas of Sattva, Rajas, Tamas, where Sattva and Tamas represent the two ends of duality, and Rajas is the activating force that compels us towards one or the other, as long as that exists within us, Only then, you see, it's it's a caveat here. He's not saying all and everyone, there's no such thing as actionlessness. There is no such thing as going into that state where actions are no longer needed. However, as long as we're compelled by the gunas, not even for a moment can we remain actionless. He then says, the person who restrains his organs of action, our legs, our arms, our speech, our everything but in whose mind rotate the thoughts of sense objects. And this is where he catches us. He says, okay, you can sit around pretending to be deep in meditation in that stillness where you say, ah, I don't have to do anything because what I'm doing is just so I'm communing with the Lord. But then in here is where we get caught. And he says, so those in whose mind rotate the thoughts of sense objects, are rightly regarded as hypocrites, and are self-deluded. Okay, so well, he's just he's just put us a little bit in our place. That man, however, succeeds supremely over Juna, who disciplines his senses by an effort of mind, who remains inwardly non-attached, and who engages his organs of activity. In God reminding activities. I want to go to the next one and then bring these both together. Perform those actions which your duty dictates, for action is better than inaction. Without action indeed, even the act of maintaining life in the body would not be possible. Let's stop for a moment here and see. So of course, Krishna is first talking about the disciplining. I mean, and he's he's been hammering this point to us over and over again. The disciplining of our senses through effort of mind. And this is where that act of wisdom comes in. The very act of withdrawing our life forces and being able to still the senses, discipline the senses, discipline the mind is karma yoga itself, is action itself so first and foremost uh, you know perform those actions above all perform this daily action this daily ritual of meditation thereby first and foremost learning how to discipline the senses and discipline the mind only then will that state of non attachment see what is what is attachment and again and again we have to come to the to the essence of a meditation path it is this life force our own prana that goes out from us and binds us this attachment is not a mental attachment alone it's not that oh i'm attached to Narayani because you know i think about her it's an it's a physical reality that we're unable to really see but it's it's tangible there is considerable life force of mind prana of mind in tangled with life force and prana of Narayani's. There's an actual attachment. There's not just a mental, oh I love her, I think about her, I don't know what I would do without her. That attachment's not just playing here. And so in meditation, I literally detach myself, if I meditate rightly that is. I literally am able to detach myself by withdrawing that life force in and lifting it up. So this mental concept of detachment which Krishna talked about, you know, act without the desire or attachment to the fruit of your actions, it can't be a mental concept. And that's important here, and that's why Krishna stresses, even before he talks about outward action, he's saying, first learn this. First learn that true non-attachment. Because as we practice this withdrawal of life force back into ourself, only then we know what that is supposed to feel like in action. You see, again, so contradictory. In action, we have to put our life force out, And here, first Krishna is saying, first learn to withdraw it, so that then when you put it out, it's not binding anymore. And then he says, and then engage your organs of activity. Our organs of activity are what? Our hands, our legs, our eyes, our mouth, uh, the body, our energy, it's all organs of activity. God reminding activities now let's understand God reminding activities But I want to go into the next one already that says perform those actions which your duty Dictates for action is better than inaction now again and again we will come to this point of what is duty? What is karma? What is dharma? Because our duty is that which, of course, is our karma. Karma has created everything for us. It has put into motion those things that we need to be free. Unfortunately, it is those very things that also bind us. And when we practice karma with the right understanding it becomes dharma which means it becomes freeing now what are our duties our duties are very apparent to us i mean there's no there's no real confusion here if you're a father if you're a wife if you're a husband if you're a banker if you're you know i mean you can decide not to be that but while you are that that is a duty and so krishna is saying perform those actions which your duty dictates Well, Arjuna, you're a warrior. Perform those actions which your duty dictates. For action is better than inaction. We always feel we have this tendency that, you know, if I don't get involved in this, maybe somehow I will uh, escape from the karma. But if it's in front of you, it is your karma. And not involving yourself in it is only prolonging the karma that exists. It is better to act and engage with your karma than not. Why? Because there is the possibility in engaging with your karma that you might actually overcome it. Whereas if you don't act at all, there is no possibility of you overcoming. There is only possibility of elongating Postful. that process, postponing it for eons and lifetimes, giving it greater and greater strength each time it returns. So now let's see what are our duty? There is this um, in in uh, the commentaries in the big book where Swami really expands on each uh, you see the it's a thick one where he expands on each of these shlokas he gives the example interestingly of an actor. Right now we're having, there's a lot of turbulence in Bollywood. Those of us in India are uh, being uh, exposed to a lot of craziness there and uh, to the very very sad loss of a of a fine soul but uh, swamiji gives the example of an actor and he says an actor you know knowing that these are my skills knowing that this is my desire he can either perform them and get really caught up in delusion the fame, the adulation, the money, the influence. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious to see that, you know, going down that road could be quite dangerous. However, Swamiji says, through that very same act, having learned how to play different roles, this man may in fact be able to separate himself from his own self-identity because he's seeing how he's able to play these different roles and remain detached from those roles and sooner rather than later start to see, in fact, life itself as a play, which is a very common uh, metaphor that we use for life. And so you see how that same very act, that same very duty, the same very desire could be used to free and to not or to bind. But if he's inactive, he neither gets. It's not like that desire disappears. It's not like the karma disappears. And he will never be able to through it actually overcome it. There was in an, um, a saint that Narayani and I know. And we were visiting him in his ashram once. And he said to us, that, do you see that man over there? He was pointing at the gardener, and you know we'd seen him around, uh, and we just assumed he was he was hired help uh, because he wouldn't he wasn't engaging in any of the ashram activities. And he says, okay. "Huh? Like yeah, he was the sweeper, gardener. You know, he was just the uh, maintenance guy around, a local man." And uh, Swami Ji, this saint, says to us in his previous life he did a lot of sadhana and he achieved a very very high state of being but in this life all he wanted was to be close to me and so he chose this life of this humble gardener and all he needs he says even he doesn't know how great he is but all he needs is to be around Me. And this is the way He's chosen. So, His job is just to be the gardener, be the sweeper. He's not attending the functions, the temple arati. He's not sitting in satsang with the Swamiji. He comes in the morning, He bows to His Guru. He performs His actions. Before He goes home, He bows again and He's done. And that's His life. And You know, we would be like, ah, look at all these wonderful devotees, how how much love they have, look at their devotion, they must certainly be (laughs) growing by leaps and bounds. And who's paying attention to the gardener and the sweeper? Nobody. But you see how action, and you and I do not know what duty we've been given and what the purpose behind it and what we've done already. And so that fulfillment of our duties that are that are most obviously placed and this is where everybody is running around looking for their higher purpose looking for something that you know essentially in our minds we equate purpose with not what I am doing right now (laughs) you know there must be something else purpose means something else something greater something more fulfilling but fulfilling whom fulfilling the ego fulfilling desire of fulfilling your dharma so these are real real subtleties of the spiritual path that krishna is bringing drawing our attention to drawing arjuna's attention to and saying don't you know don't play around with these concepts as a mental game where why are you asking me to do this terrible action when when you know it's like i want to pick and choose the spiritual path so that it serves me rather than what do I need? What's before me? How can I continue to free myself? And aren't these words just fabulous and, and very humbling and very like bringing us back to, okay, there's, there's still work to be done here. I thought I understood, but did I really? And Then he goes on to say, actions performed for selfish gain are karmically binding. Very obvious, but such an important reminder. You want to overcome your karma, you're going to really have to learn that that aspect of how not to be selfishly involved. How to learn that detachment. Otherwise, no matter how great the action, no matter how lovely the action, karma ensues. Therefore, O son of Kunti, and Kunti here we know represents dispassion. If I didn't mention it on our first class, you remember each uh, character of the Mahabharata is a particular psycho-spiritual quality within us. And therefore, this war is very much a war of our own mental citizens, of our own qualities and tendencies, of our own karmas. And so, Kunti here represents dispassion. And so, dispassion, Kunti, the mother of the three Pandavas, and then Madri, the mother of the other two. So, Kunti, Kunti, Uh, Marrying uh, Pandu Pandu is intelligent Intellect and discrimination When intellect and discrimination Come together in dispassion You know to the world With that certain sense of non-attachment These three Pandavas The higher three Pandavas Are the offspring of that These particular qualities within us So O son of Kunti Perform your duty Without attachment in a spirit of religious self-offering. Now Krishna comes. So far he's been telling us. Don't be attached. Don't be attached. Perform your... You know it's like. He set the bar really high. And he's not quite yet telling us. How does one do that? How do I not be attached? I mean. How do I go forward and not think about the result at all? And now he's given us a very vital piece of the puzzle. And this is. Perform your duty without attachment in a spirit of religious self-offering so here religious self-offering means what as an act of worship as an act of ritual as an act of yagya all that we would otherwise do i mean how, what, how would we perform a yagya first and foremost the yagya the idea of the yagya is it's being offered to god Secondly, we have to put out a lot of energy, we have to put a lot of passion, we have to feel that this yagya is not me offering coconut and rice and ghee, it is all that represents me, This rice represents the seeds of my karma, the ghee represents the clarified thoughts and feelings of my heart, and the fruits represent, you know, the energy. Uh, So the rice represents the seeds of karma within us that continue to sprout. The fruits represent the karma that has already manifested in our lives and the fruit of which from the seed has grown. And so all these yajyas that were prescribed in the Vedas were essentially this. They were means for us outwardly as symbols to be actually offering ourselves in the highest form possible. And of course, through mantras, which are vibrational bombs and uh, that, you know, open up the ether to allow our offering to actually reach that higher states, that higher levels of uh, consciousness. And so Krishna is now giving us this little um kind of help here by saying you're not going to get it from a mental perspective how do i be detached okay i want to do this but wait i shouldn't be wanting to do this and i would like to do this so i do it well so that the final result is good but wait i'm not supposed to be attached to the result so that's really confusing to a lot of people so here he clarifies that for us by saying offer it in this way as if you're worshipping as if you are doing a religious ritual a yajna and then each of those actions become purified he goes on to say specifically with the concept of the yajna he said prajapati which is the aspect of god as creator brahma is referenced as prajapati the lord of his subjects brought mankind into manifestation And in so doing, gave man the potential for self-offering into a higher awareness. Along with this gift, he enjoined mankind. He said to mankind, he gave mankind this dictum. Whatever you desire, seek it by offering energy back to the source of all energy. Let this sacrifice, this yajna, be your milch cow of fulfillment, your kamdhenu, your (laughs) magic wand, so to speak. So what is he saying here? I mean, these are very, both uh, confusing words, because on one hand, it's almost saying, Krishna is saying, well, fulfill your desires. If you seek something, fulfill it. And at the same time, he's asking us to offer that very desire, that very energy back into the divine. And this is in fact, what the entire Vedas uh, predicated. They were means to live life to the fullest. Yet, live it in a way that you were aware of what the source of each of those gifts were. Oh, you want to have great wealth? Of course you can have great wealth, for the source of wealth is God's infinite abundance. But if I forget that that source is God's infinite abundance and I am not offering to that source, then the wealth that I receive is karmically binding, is drawing me deeper into delusion. So the Vedas was that highest way of living life to the absolute fullest. Oh, you want a child? Rather than kind of indulging you know, purely in sexual pleasure with this idea that a child will be born from that union. You were first to offer, open the astral world, place your intention, ask for the divine qualities that you want of the child, know where that life force is coming from, draw upon that life force, and then and only then, you know, indulge in the most kind of physical of realities, to manifest that child so you see what krishna is doing he's drawing our attention back to that vedic understanding of life which was all life is both meant to be fulfilled is meant to is meant to fill us to the absolute highest but only if we understand and offer back from where this gift from where that fulfillment is coming so again all activity that we're doing if we're doing it as a yagya if we understand that this is this fire ritual this is me worshiping god who is the source of all fulfillment then that activity will not only result in the highest possible you know uh uh, fruition yet it will not bind you so if people say that if i act without desire for the fruits then it does it no longer it's like i'm not passionate about that and therefore i can't give my best and therefore you know i can't guarantee if i'm if i'm not interested in the fruit then How do I know if the fruit's going to be good? You know, if I want to do well in my work, well, I want to do well in my work. Not just because I want money, but because it fulfills me to do well. And that's appropriate. You must do well. If you are going to perform an action, well, it might as well be the best and highest it can. And so it gets confusing. How does one perform an action really well, yet not be bound by it? And so this is is the secret here as I'm performing the action, I'm performing it knowing that the source of all fulfillment flows through me and my action is an offering back to that source of fulfillment. So not only will the action be blessed that it yields the highest results, it also no longer binds us. Again, not an easy thing to, you know, you may think That it's clear, but again, it has to be really, really experienced and this is where the practice of you have to come back to this practice of meditation again and again. You have to come back to that attunement with the divine to know what that feeling even is. What does it feel? Because in meditation, this is meditation is the highest possible act there is. Why? Because what Krishna is saying for us to do outwardly, Mm. meditation is done inwardly where I take all the fruits of my actions and I withdraw them back into myself and I lift up all both the seeds of my karma and the love and devotion of my being and everything that I am and that defines me and I do offer it to the source of all creation. So, in meditation, you get to really, really experience what that outward action ought to feel like. That stillness that comes in an outward action where there is calmness, where there is joy, where even though there's a deadline and you have to do it on time and people are depending on you, there is no restlessness, there's no stress, there's no burden, there's no fear. But there is this, ah, wow, let me offer this to you. Let me give this to you. Let this be my highest, greatest offering to you. Let me do this well, Lord, that it glorify you who are the source of all fulfillment. And thus all activity becomes blessed. And so in meditation, we feel that, we experience that, we know what that should taste like. And then as we start to put that out into action, we start to free ourselves from the very karma that exists. We free ourselves from karma. And that's true karma yoga. That's the highest form of seva, where you get to really give back to God, rather than, you know, I'm in a temple and I'm sweeping the floor and that's my seva. And therefore, that's the highest that I have performed. Well, not necessarily. If you're sweeping the floor with your thoughts of, you know, I wonder what I will get for this. I hope God's looking at me and he's really proud of me right now. You know. Anyway, I think this is a good, this is a wonderful place to stop. To see that action is actually far from what we think action is. That it has both the potential to bind, but has an equal potential to free. So with that, let's see, Narayani has jotted down some interesting points for us. Let's see what she has uh, as a means for something perhaps we can do and pay attention to during this week.
1: Swami Kriyananda once was having a conversation with his guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, and Yogananda told Swami Kriyananda very clearly what was, your, what was his dharma. And he said, in this lifetime, your job is going to be editing, writing, and lecturing. Just like that, very plainly. And Swami griyananda replied, but Master, I just don't want to lecture. I mean, he was afraid that by teaching, he would, you know, develop some sort of spiritual ego, and that was something that he really wanted to be um, aware and careful about. And he was kind of telling Yogananda, but I don't really want to do that. And Yogananda replied, well, better to like it, because this is what you will need to do in this lifetime, so better to learn how to like it. Coming back to the subject of our Dharma, we may find ourselves telling to ourselves or to the Divine, I don't like my life. I don't like my family. I don't like, you know, these circumstances, this job that I'm in. I don't like to go through this. And in a sense, it could be good for us to, first of all, accept. We are here for a reason. And that voice of the divine telling us, well, might as well to learn to like it, because this is what you need to learn and from it, you know. And this is, might as well embrace it fully. This is something very important to understand on the path. Wherever we are, it's the perfect place for us to learn and to blossom, number one. When Shuja was talking about the attachment and ca- how can we perform our activities with that, you know, detachment and don't identify ourselves with our actions, with certain people that we think are giving us our happiness and that sense of completion. Well, Two tools that we have in order to improve that attachment that Krishna was saying. First, through meditation. The purpose of meditation is to help us realize and to experience what are we identified with. So meditation will give us the experience that, first of all, I need to be identified with the divine, with who I am in truth, and then once I have experienced that consciousness of who I am in truth, how can I manifest that into action, which is karma yoga. Uh, Yogananda gives a wonderful tool and technique to experience that in action. He says, God is the doer. So once we start performing our outward activities to get involved in our dharma, Let's try to perceive ourselves, not as Shurjo or Narayani or Niyati Rajesh are the ones doing those actions or making those phone calls or writing on the Excel sheet. God is the doer, and I'm just channeling that energy to Him, coming back to the act of self-offering. First, I'm identifying myself with the divine then i manifest you know that divine consciousness in my activity therefore whatever result comes out from that action it really doesn't matter why because i didn't do it (laughs) god did it i mean that gives such sense of freedom so i would say that's number one. In meditation, start um, identifying yourself with that divine energy flowing to, flowing through you. I love very recently someone asked, please, could you elaborate a little bit more about that prayer that Yogananda said? I will reason, I will will, and I will act, but guide Thou my will, reason, and activity. I mean, this is a prayer that we should have constantly in our minds when we are performing our duties, when we are fulfilling our responsibilities. So I would say these two are wonderful practices that we can apply daily. And the last thing is, if we really want to perceive everything that we are doing as an act of offering to the divine, let's start by every day. Okay, today is going to be dedicated to God. And the next day, today is going to be dedicated to Lahiri Mahashaya. Wednesday is going to be dedicated to Babaji and, and play with it if, if offering every day to the, divine, to the divine is too high to your guru, to other masters, to a specific goddess or goddesses and, and just be creative how what Krishna is saying can be real and not just a concept. And the more we will create a dynamic relationship with that omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent reality, the more we will become that divine consciousness flowing through us in everything we do. Therefore, we'll be able to face our karma, to overcome it, and not to keep creating more so i would say those things first in meditation really we want to identify with that consciousness manifesting that consciousness in our activities by thinking feeling god is the doer not us repeating that prayer before each activity. I will reason, I will will, and I will act. That means I'm going to do my part. I'll put that energy, I'll put that enthusiasm. I don't want to become indifferent. I mean, not to be attached to the results of my actions doesn't mean I, I, I can't do my best. I want to do my very best. But be you the one by thinking you are the doer in those activities. And every day, let's from today onwards, tomorrow onwards, offer it to each one of the Masters and to the Divine.